I want to ask you a question. Have you ever considered the number of relationships that you manage in any particular day? Now, you might be thinking of a particular meaning of relationship. You might be thinking to yourself that there is um, just one way to, to consider it. So is it just the relationship that I have in a romantic relationship? That's not what I'm talking about here. I'm thinking about all the relationships that you have during the course of a day. So you have, you know, a spousal relationship maybe in your life or a dating relationship or a sibling relationship, your brothers and sisters. Maybe you have, uh, you're relationally connected to the, the caribou barista who made your coffee today. Um, or, or at work, you have coworkers, a boss, you have relationship with those people, employee relationships, even on your drive-in today, you had a relationship with the other cars and people on the road because you had to trust them to, to allow you to get here. If you went to a four-way stop, there's at least three other, there's up to three other people that you could be in relationship with because you have to trust them to, to follow an order so you can get to go where you are going in a timely manner. When you think it through, it's absurd to consider all of the people with whom you function in relationship. Each connection is different and nuanced and, and, and requires a varying degree of trust. And we think sometimes that, that trust is commensurate with how well you know somebody or, or what that depth of relationship is. And the deeper that relationship, the greater trust you have with that person. But it doesn't always work out that way, does it? You know, when you're driving on the freeway and there is a semi-truck that pulls up next to you and they just seem so gigantic, and that truck is pulling a tanker and it's got hazardous material logos all over it, I dare say that you trust the driver of that truck with your life. You trust that he followed a procedure that ensured that that trailer that he's pulling with the hazardous waste, that it doesn't come disconnected from the tractor that is pulling it and tip over onto my van. I trust him to do that. And some of those trust relationships get kind of confusing and get kind of stretched. And so we build a mechanism in our psyche so that we can walk through life with the adequate amount of trust extended to the people around us. And we do this when we build transactional relationships. You give something, like I drive in my lane and giving as much room as I can to the truck that is driving beside me, and I expect to receive something in that relationship. He maintains his course and doesn't swerve and kill me on the road, right? Or maybe the, maybe the simplest example of this is the type of commercial transaction that you might all step into even later today. You know, when I walk into Caribou Coffee, I give them $4.29, and they return to me a cup of a large uh, iced uh, Americano, which is the drink you should all get uh, when you go to Caribou Coffee. But I extend the 429 and they return to me that gift of a cup of coffee. Now they turn the little iPad around and there's different tip options that go there. And I'm, I, I get confused by that because I'm not exactly sure how that's supposed to work. But that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about that exchange of, of 
property and exchange of expectations. And that's a clear example of it. But that transactional way of looking at relationship starts to permeate all these other areas of our life as we try to reconcile the the trust and depth of relationship equation. And so we start to build little transactions into the relationships that we have. So we we have like a a reward system for our kids for the behavior, right? Because we're trying to nurture those behaviors that are good and healthy and allow them to grow up to to love Jesus. And and we want to do that. So we, we build in some reward systems and we create this little transaction in that relationship. Or at work and the rewards that go with with high performance and and so you're trying to nurture these these skill sets and these these developments within the people that that work at a company and and they build these transactions that allow things to be exchanged high quality work for high quality pay or maybe it's in a school situation and and grades and achievement and and we build all these transactions until Our whole life is so full of transactions that we lose sight of the relationship. It gets particularly messy when it extends into relationships that that should be entirely based outside of transaction, like a marriage relationship. When you start to build the transactional qualities into, into a marriage or a dating relationship, all of a sudden you find yourselves at odds with one another. Because it was never meant to be that way. But we build this system in our minds because it's so hard to understand how you can have trust outside of relationships. You know, this isn't just a proven, easy system. It's a system that is incredibly complicated And in fact, the further we lean into that idea of transaction in our relationships, the more mess that we discover in our lives. You know, we're in this July series, this July idea of Serve Month, and we're in this together. And as a part of this month, we are taking a very close look at two chapters in your Bible. Those two chapters are John 13 and 14. And so if you want to be ahead, if you want to to really engage, you can read these chapters during the course of the week. They're not very long. It's just maybe a a couple of minutes of your time to read through them. But we're going to to talk exclusively exclusively about these two chapters as we move through this Serve Month series. Last week, Brian had an opportunity to kick this series off, and, and he laid the groundwork for where we are in this chapter 13 of John. In this chapter, there's this amazing thing that is going on. Jesus is approaching the last week of his life before the cross, before he goes to the cross. And during the course of that week, he he celebrates with his disciples this thing that is called the Passover feast. It's a religious meal. It's steeped in nuance and meaning. It's amazing. And Jesus is presiding over this meal. But we're in the book of John, and so, so we are looking at something very particular that happened during the course of this meal, the Passover feast. It's the moment where Jesus stepped outside of everything that was expected of him. His role as their teacher, as their mentor, he stepped outside of the, the presider over that religious feast, that religious meal. He stepped outside of that. 
And he took off his robe. He put a cloth around his waist. And he washed his disciples' feet. And he changed, he changed the way that we see Jesus. We see him not just as a teacher, not just as God incarnate in man, but we see Jesus as a servant to all of us. And we learn something through the interaction that he had with a man named Peter, one of his, his disciples. We learn something there. And we learn that there is something going on that's even deeper than just the washing of their feet. That there is, there is a washing of their lives that's going on alongside. And the, the completeness of that is what they're, they're digging into. Now, I'm a visual person. I don't know about you. But when I start to think about this meal, there's a famous painting that we all are familiar with. It's uh, uh, Leonardo da Vinci. He painted uh, a painting that we call The Last Supper. And in it, the disciples are all lined up on one side of the table because we know that's how they ate. They just edited out the, the selfie stick from Jesus, right? You know, um, We know that the skin color maybe doesn't match. But what we see there is we see this participant's list of who was involved in this meal. And each one on the, on the image that I have prepared for you is, is labeled. And so just from left to right, it's Bartholomew, the lesser James, it's Andrew, Judas, Peter, John, and then at the center is Jesus. Thomas is to the right. The more prominent James is next to him, Philip, Matthew, Thaddeus, and Simon. These are Jesus' 12 disciples, his closest disciples students, the people who traveled with him and saw the miracles, and they gathered together for this thing that is the Passover feast. And what I love about this picture by Leonardo da Vinci is not the accuracy of the skin tone, but it is in how he portrayed each person, giving them a characteristic, a posture, a position that gave you insight into the story. And so you see things like you see Thomas with his finger in the air as though he might be either touching the wounds of Jesus after the cross or, or maybe posing a question founded in the doubt that he had. Or you see people demonstrating the, the support and the concern that he had for Jesus. And then, of course, right to his right, Jesus' right hand would be his beloved disciple, or at least his self-proclaimed beloved disciple, John. And then there are, are an organization and pieces, and then centered on that right side of the picture, your left, is the man who is at the center of what we're going to look at from this piece of scripture today, the man whose name is Judas. And he's clutching a small purse that we know to be the center of the Judas story, a purse containing 30 pieces of gold for which his purchase was made to betray Jesus. We zoom in on that disciple who betrayed Jesus. As a reminder from last week, in this month of July, we are in Serve Month, and we look today at the person of Judas. You know, in John's account, 
there's this teaching that happens that gives us insight into who Judas is. And all through this passage, we can see that John has a a contempt for Judas and the betrayal, and and it reads into the way that he writes about him. And it starts right in that second verse of the 13th chapter. And it says, During supper, when the devil had already when the devil had already been into Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, that he had already put it into Judas Iscariot's heart. And so who is this Judas Iscariot? See, Judas is an essential one of the 12. Like all the rest, chosen by Jesus to follow him. We only see him through this one lens, but he must have been trusted enough by the other disciples to have been in charge of the money. When we read through this story, a story that we go into more thoroughly around that time of Easter and and Maundy Thursday and all the things that come with that, when we really dig into that story, we see that, that all of the disciples fell short in those events that lead up to Jesus going to the cross, and yet it is Judas who we single out as being the betrayer of Jesus. All of the disciples let Jesus down. They all expected something different. Not one of them expected Jesus to, to go to the cross and, 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 and die for sin. They were surprised and needed to be told again and again that that was what was to happen. They were expecting, instead of death, they were expecting Jesus would do maybe some political reform. But we see in this verse, this second verse in John 13, we see clearly that the decisions and the the way that Judas had made had opened him up to Satan's misleading and to Satan's manipulation. Now, in hindsight, we remember from our stories that we are familiar with at this time that all of the, all the disciples came up short in supporting Jesus. They fell asleep when they were to be on the watch They denied knowing him. They second-guessed his mission. But it was Judas who understood the depth of guilt and shame for his betrayal. For 30 pieces of silver, Judas revealed Jesus to the the guards who were searching, to the, the leaders who would imprison and then eventually kill Jesus just that same night. And it was Judas who, taking those pieces of silver, pointed to Jesus, kissed Jesus to identify him in the crowd. For this betrayal, it's easy to to single Judas out in this story. While everyone else let Jesus down, it was Judas that we focus on. But Judas tried to repent of what he had done. He tried to undo this thing that had been put into motion. He tried to give the 30 pieces of silver back. 
But the religious leaders, they didn't take it. And they threw it back at him and saying, you, this is your problem. This is your problem. He sought repentance but didn't receive it. In verse 18, Jesus says these words, pointing them out. I am not speaking of all of you. I know whom I have chosen, but the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. You see, he's pointing to the essential part that Judas played in this story. You see, the essential part that Judas played was in the identification of, of Jesus, this betrayal that he played, this part that he played, it was what had been foretold of 700 years prior to this moment. He reiterates this in verses 25 and 26. So that disciple leaning back against Jesus said to him, Lord, who is it? Who is it that's going to betray you? And Jesus answered, it is he whom I will give this morsel of bread when I have dipped it. So when he had dipped the morsel, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. That scripture that was being fulfilled was a song written by David 700 years before, what we call Psalm 41, where he writes those words, even my close friend in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted his heel against me. 700 years before, the pieces had been set into motion for the portrayal of Jesus, and Judas played that critical role in the story. This hymn, this song that, that David had written, was a song about the assurance of God's closeness, even when the world is telling you that you have been abandoned. It starts out with this, blessed is the one who considers the poor. In the day of trouble, the Lord delivers him. That's Psalm 41.1. And it concludes with, blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting, amen and amen. And sandwiched right in the center is that illumination of who Judas would become. A prophetic word that illuminates him, the betrayer. At the very beginning, Jesus knew all of this about Judas. When he chose him, Jesus knew all of this about Judas. And yet, as he removed his cloak, as he gathered a basin and poured water, as he placed the cloth around his waist, as he kneeled before each of his disciples, carefully taking Judas's first foot in his hand and washing it, wiping it with a rag, kneeled before him intimately, taking his other foot and washing it and wiping it with a rag, knowing everything about the character and the person of Judas, Jesus washed his feet, kneeled before him, took the role of humble servant 
and washed Judas's feet. Judas, Jesus knew everything about Judas. And yet he still served Judas. You see, in that moment, that moment that he had with this disciple for whom we've got all of these pieces of information, all of these conceptions that, that help us get to the heart of his betrayal. Jesus knew all of this and washed his feet. And in that, he illuminated a new economy of relationship, not based on transaction. Jesus changed the value from what can I get out of this to how can I give into this. See, the value will move from a transaction to become implicit in the serving. Jesus demonstrated that the singular value was contained entirely in the act of serving. And after this beautiful act of serving, when Jesus washes his disciples' feet, after he washed Judas's feet, as Jesus shifts back into his role as teacher, in explanation of what had just taken place in front of everyone, he says these words, which are found in the same chapter in verse 20. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me, and whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. In these words, which can kind of seem cryptic and, and maybe a little tough to understand, Jesus is talking about the relationship connection that we have when we step in to this thing that he's called us to of service. You see, when we serve, people know, people are connected to, people receive who Jesus is. And when people receive who Jesus is, they come to know the restoration of relationship with a father God. And they get to experience the love that permeates all the way through the truly, truly, I say to you. And so when you walked into this place, when you see those words up there from John 13, 20, and you start to consider where you are in that place of receiving and receiving, I want to ask you a question. Have you received Jesus as your Lord, as your Savior? At Redeemer, one of the terminologies that we like to use in that is, is saying yes. Will you say yes today to receiving Jesus? To receiving a relationship that is restored with the Father? Will you say yes to that today? At this time, I'm going to ask that you close your eyes and you, and you bow your heads. We're going to pray a prayer out loud together. I want to invite you to receive Jesus today or to step deeper into that relationship with Jesus that allows you to step into his call for your life. And so please say these words along with me. Dear God, sorry that I have sinned against you. Thank you for dying for me. Send your Holy Spirit to fill me. 
Today, I say yes to following you. Amen. If you want to keep your heads bowed and uh, your, your eyes closed, if you said yes for the very first time today, or if you said yes um, to, to a deeper connection with this, this Jesus of this meal, I want to ask that you would just raise your hand right now. Thank you. You can put your hands down and, and you can raise your heads and your hands. I'm so excited for you. You know, the reason that we stopped in the middle of this message to do that was we paused this. It's because in order to step into this call that Jesus is placing on all of our lives, what we call serve month, what we call serving, it, it is required that we have a relationship with who he is. And so if that was you today, I want to invite you after the service to to, to stop at the blue table over in the corner. And over there, there'll be somebody who can help you into next steps that can um, help pray with you and, and help you to clarify that call that's been placed on your life. If you're watching online today, we want to invite you to redeemermn.org slash next steps. And right there, uh, you, can, you can take those next steps in following Jesus. But we do this because Jesus invited us into a relationship with him. And he invited us into, into taking this monumental step, but, but what he put before us was entirely unexpected. He asked us to serve. And he changed the value of what we expect out of it. It's not what we, ex- it's not what we can receive, but it's what we can give. Because the value of service, it's not determined by the one you're serving. It's entirely dependent. It's entirely recognized. Uh, comes into the, the person who, the character of the servant. The value of service for the disciples, it had nothing to do with the, the dirt on their feet. But it was the service, the character of Jesus, who washed them. And so Jesus was sending his students to go into the world, to, to change the world by serving. He said it this way, If then your Lord and teacher, meaning himself, Jesus, have washed your feet, you ought to wash one another's feet. There's nothing any person, any disciple, there's nothing anybody could do to pay back Jesus for what he did. And yet Jesus gave that all to them. Jesus is inviting you into that same step today. He's inviting you in the language that we have Uh, used around this serve month. He's inviting you to listen to Jesus and do what he says. One of the ways that we are putting before you during the course of this month is for 10 years this year, we've been providing backpacks for Fridley schools as they return to school, as they return uh, to school, those students who need them. You have a list of supplies on your chair today. In the commons, you saw some of the backpacks that have already started to come in. 
whether it's by yourself or with your family or with your small group or whatever it is, if you would consider putting together a backpack and listening to Jesus and doing what he says. It's a tremendous way to step into the incredible ways that just that small act allows us to step into the introduction to Jesus and the hope of the Father. Also, all month long, we're asking you to do that, to listen to Jesus and do what he says. And when you do, you have this incredible opportunity at the end of the month, the 30th of July, where we won't gather as a community here because we want to give you space to be obedient, to go, and to do that thing that Jesus calls you to out there in our community. So on the 30th of July, don't come to this building, but go and serve and be a part of Jesus' call in the world. Because this is Serve Month, and it can be our first step into changing and reframing transaction so that we can put God's love in action. Let me pray with you today. If, as we close in prayer, I just want to invite you, whether you're at home or in the room, let's stand together as we close in prayer. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for how it challenges the way that we think, how it illuminates the, the ways that we might be taking steps that draw us further from you. And so, Lord, as we, as we hear those things, as we step closer to you, place a call on our lives. As we are in relationship with you, place a call on our lives so that we might hear your voice and know your voice and do what it says, do what you say. So fill us with your spirit today. Help us to know where it is and what it is and who it is that you're calling us to serve and embolden us to step into that service today. I want to invite you to put your hands forward and receiving, receive God's blessing as you go. May the Lord bless you, keep you. May he make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May he lift his countenance upon you. And may that favor that you're receiving right now lead you into the service that changes the world. We thank you for this blessing. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Have an awesome week, and listen to Jesus, and do what he says.